Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. And in this podcast, we will cover the global and local developments you need to know this week. This week, we are joined by Susie Cardwell, General Manager of Data Commercialization at News Corp, Jason Tonelli, CEO at Performix, a publicist company, and of course, a regular Andy Lark, who's CEO at Group Lark. And of course, we're going to be talking today about uh, those funny things called cookies. Um, it's the second part in the series. It created quite uh, a buzz in the market uh, with our last episode, and we're coming back to have another revisit at a bunch of the issues for the industry and what it means for marketers. Andy, we'll go to you first. You had a fascinating conversation or in, the, in recent weeks, actually, with some B2B marketers. Tell us uh, around cookies or the lack of. What happened there? Well, it was really a conversation with a bunch of CMOs and um, digital marketing leaders around, uh, first, what are, what is the impact of the shifts in policies and usage of cookies and how that's going to impact media companies, what it means for them in terms of their own data. And then secondly, really around GDPR and what it means, you know, and, 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 and do they understand it? And it'd be fair to say there are a fair amount of blank looks around the table. People are really struggling to digest the issue, to understand the issue, there's a complete lack of education out there around new privacy and data regulation. And the worrying thing about that is not just that uh, they don't necessarily at this stage fully understand it, but that also means that uh, effective policies and thinking around strategy are not being informed by the changes. Are they not reading it, not being informed? Why aren't they informed? Why aren't they seeing this? Well, you've got to say in terms of the marketing press, which is an enormous echo chamber in of, in of itself, it really hasn't captured too much attention. I mean, this requires a degree of um, thinking and journalism that's not there. And, and then secondly, it's not something that the average media company or vendor that you're buying from is going to go, oh, yeah, by the way, all that stuff we just sold you might not work this time next year. Right. So Susie Cardwell, uh, tell us very quickly, though, that you've got some interesting uh, views around first and third-party cookies. Explain to the the listener first about what that means, what those differences are, and then we'll get to some, some other subjects. Yeah, I think one of the things that's been lost in this debate is that there are there are two different types of cookies, and they're not created equal. The first-party cookie is a piece of code uh, that's created by a site owner or a media owner uh, and is put on those owned sites to collect information about what their users are doing across their sites. Um, That allows the site owner to start to build up um, a pretty um, granular view on what those uh, audience, what the audiences who are visiting those sites uh, are doing across those sites. Um, Those cookies are not being blocked um, either by Apple or Google. um, And there's no indication that Apple and Google are going to start to do that. The second type of cookie is a third-party cookie. Now, as the name suggests, a third-party cookie is is a piece of code that's created by an entity or a, or a technology vendor that doesn't own a site and places that code uh, onto a site. These are the third-party cookie. These third-party cookies are the ones that are that are subject to being blocked by Apple uh, and Google, um, and they are generally ones that are created by. Uh, ad tech vendors, demand side platforms, uh, and 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 retargeters that are that are kind of widely used, I guess, by various different parts of the marketing community. 
So Susie, with that context, why does it matter to, to, to marketers? I think the really key thing to understand is that media owners, we use first party cookies on all of our sites to start to, uh, to collect information about what all of our users are doing across our sites. So, you know, in the case of news, we've got 20 plus sites, something in the region of 12 million people coming to those sites every month. We're collecting about 2 billion data points from those first party cookies um, about what our audiences are are doing across those sites. So that allows us to start to build up a really granular um, picture of the interests and the likes and the uh, and in some cases, the the intent of our audiences. Because if you think about it, you know, we are able to start to understand the groups of people who are coming regularly to, you know, escape.com.au, for example, and, you know, three times a month are reading information about beach holiday destinations. We are able to then um, gather all of that information together into an audience segment. And we, we can say to a travel retailer, for, for example, these people are interested in beach destinations, target them with the right message on our sites, uh, and, and we'll, be able to, we'll be able to help you drive an outcome. Andy, that sort of messaging, uh, what is that, what, how, how do you think that's received uh, as a marketer? How do you view that versus the other alternatives that are out there? Well, it's what you want from uh, any media owner. Um, the question will be whether the regulatory intent offshore will extend to the use of even first-party cookie, cookie data. So you've got really two issues here. The first issue is Google and Apple, I think largely out of immense self-interest, blocking the use of third-party data, which I think is kind of deplorable, really, um, without us really addressing the first-party issue. So there's a difference if I own a very large site in me saying, I'm collecting that first-party data, say you're a news corp, to say I really want to tailor the news content, the immense amount of news content being generated to what you've demonstrated to us is your preferences, your likes, your dislikes. That makes a world of sense. But you start getting into some of the fine-grained regulatory issues emerging in particularly Europe right now, where they're starting to say, yes, but unless I give you unequivocal permission to use my data, you are not allowed to sell that to somebody else. So then I turn up as the marketer and I say, by the way, I'd like to buy data on all those people who um, are interested in traveling to Bali Uh, because I'm launching a new flight or a new hotel or something. And in the future, there's every probability that the regulatory intent is you can't do that anymore because I haven't given you... And and some of the subtlety in the language of the regulation that is being written is is, is not to be lost, right? It it is, is, uh, you know, unequivocal permission is granted. It's not like... Overt consent, if you like. It amounts to unequivocal permission. So there are... Huge issues emerging around policy and governance on first-party data and third-party data. And the other end of the spectrum, you've got some of the very large sites um, um, looking to remove the pollution and what's going on in the overall cookie ecosystem from the from the third-party uh, cookie market. I, w- I would say, though, that you, you just need to download one of the privacy blocking apps to your phone um, and I'll give you a little example. I ran one last week. It was incredibly annoying because it kept blocking all the videos I wanted to watch on Twitter. Um, but it blocked something like 12,000 um, people who had cooking me and were looking to probe my data usage and capture my data, many of whom I have no idea who these people are. But a lot of them stem from the apps I download. And so th- this issue is like, it is, I think market, my fear is market, publishers won't, publishers are smart, 
this is the lifeblood of their part of one of the many lifebloods of their business. But the average marketer is going to wake up over the next two or three years and see large marketing channels switched off, um, large parts of their technology investment not working, and some of their vendors not around anymore. Yeah, I think I think um, I think you're absolutely right, Andy. And that there's no doubt that. Australia is going to see some sort of GDPR-like legislation coming to us. I think it's really unclear at this stage what what that's going to look like um, and the extent to which it will mirror or not um, what they've done in Europe. Uh, and the time frame on it is also really unclear. Um, but, you know, as a publisher, it's one of the things that we are incredibly aware of and it's one of the things that we are looking at and trying to get ahead of. I think we will have to move to be able to manage it to, to be able to manage consent around the use of first-party cookies. Um, and, uh, you know, we we as a publisher and most of the publishers are kind of actively starting to look at how we do that. Um, and I think, you know, so that at the point that the legislation comes in, we can say to the marketer, we have, uh, we have a, you know, we, we have a pool of first-party cookies for whom we have clear opted-in consent um, from those audiences to be able to use those cookies. Um, so I, you're absolutely right. Um, issues around consent are, are, gonna, are coming to the fore more and more and they will be primary for us in this market sometime in the next 12 to 24 months at a, at a guess. I think the other important thing for marketers to understand is that it's not just it's not just the media channels that are going to be affected by that. It, it is most likely going to be marketers owned sites and their, and the content on those sites where they where they use their own first party cookies. And I think for marketers it's, you know, it, it's probably timely for them to start to understand how they need to be able to manage consent for use of those cookies on their own sites as well. I think the um you're spot on. And I think the the challenge out there right now for most of us who are looking at the consumer side of the equation is that we worry that the publishers, the major publishers, um, whether they're a News Corp, whether they're a Nine, a Seven, whoever, get swept up in what is essentially a set of initiatives designed to limit bad actors. When I pick up or I log in in the morning to read The Australian, as I do every morning, I do that with absolute intent. Right. And, and I, I do that as a deliberate thing. Right. So, so I've demonstrated a lot of intent in being there. It's, it's all the other people around me where I hit the old random site to watch the latest Panda video or I, you know, whatever it might be. And suddenly I'm cookied and traced and they're selling data and they're looking at all my other behavior because I clicked a thing I didn't read. And largely this, this, this concept, both on our own sites as marketers, that people really give consent. You know, do we really give consent when we click that button? We actually want something while we're there. So we click a button and we move on. And so there's some real challenges um, in uh, GDPR and how how marketers see it and how they implement it. But I think um, I, I just haven't yet seen if you ask the average marketer, have you been onto the GDPR website and read the sections related to marketing? Because they actually do call it out quite explicitly. I think it's about one in 10 so far for me that I've actually taken the time to do it. Um, and then worryingly, the number of media people and web people I talk to and go, have you actually read it and seen what's happening? You should be influencing policy as it starts to evolve in Australia around this because I worry we end up with a one-size-fits-all universal strategy like GDPR and not something that actually reflects the consumer side dynamic. Jason Tonelli, um, two things I'd like, I'd like to get to you first is 
there is a view that a lot of the agency trading desks are reliant on and trade on the basis of third-party cookies, um, the trading the trading desks. So I know that's not necessarily your sweet spot now, but a view on that and then the broader uh, issues that we're talking about here and how that affects what you're talking to your, your clients about. Sure. So I think the first thing here is that you've got to look at this from the consumer side, like Andy said, and we welcome this. I think consumers having the chance to opt in or out of tracking and cookies is a good thing um, because they start to take control of their own data. And a big trend we'll see in the next two to three years will be businesses popping up, allowing consumers to take more control of their data and take more control of what they see and what they don't see. And I think that's a really good thing for the consumer. And when we're in the age of CX and consumer experience, that's critical that consumers are opting in and they know what's going on. Back to your point around trading desks and how they work and things like that. We've been working on a solve around cookie-less world for probably four years, maybe even five. The main reason being that mobile devices came along. And so because mobiles and desktops don't talk to each other in the same cookie universe, we've had to work on universal identity or unique identity um, for a long time. And so the ad tech companies, so a Google or a Trade Desk or whomever, Adobe or whomever you like to speak to, they've been thinking about this problem and so have holding groups. We've been working on this problem for five years. And so the world where we've got opt-in consenting first-party data or unified data sets through an ID platform are both great things because we've been, A, we've been working on it. So the once Google releases this and still they're saying we're going to do it, they haven't given us the time frame or a date yet. So it could be 12 months or 24 months. We've got the infrastructure now set up to think about that. The second part to that is, as we start to talk about this more holistically, is the use of first-party data by our customers, by the brands and the marketers. And I think that's something that mark the marketing community is really grappling with still. So the amount of meetings that I'm in where I'm sitting with CMOs and heads of digital who are saying, how do we just do this on our own website a little bit earlier, you know, News Corp are doing it. How do we do this? How do we create this seamless experience on our website to capture intent, but also understand what why people are here and how do we give them a great experience, be it they spend more time on my site, they read an educational video, or they convert into a transaction and we're seeing the KPI landscape change because of that. Whose KPIs and and yeah. what? Media agency and marketer KPIs are changing and they're changing to understand people's behavior on site. So you'd come to a digital agency and we're talking about cookies and you'd normally go, get me a cheap CPC or a cost, cost per click. click. Yep. Get me a cheap cost per acquisition or I need you to drop my cost per lead by X if I'm an auto manufacturer. To now customers or the brands understanding that if I'm an automotive brand, somebody who are early in their journey coming to the site and starting to watch three videos and spend time there is really valuable now. It's actually more valuable than me getting them to get a test drive short term. So the KPIs for the CMO are changing around time on site, videos viewed, all the great things that are owned assets, which we can then use again to create great first party kind of web experiences. And our KPIs are changing too. We're starting to think about media differently, how we're buying media to actually drive to those new KPIs. And we're co-setting those too. So we're in a very, very interesting time where cookies are a part of the equation. But I think there's this 
broader landscape change of how programmatic and performance-based advertising and media is being used to drive different KPIs for the CMO. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really interesting because um, you know the 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 clients where we are able to kind of drive the most success for are talking to us in exactly those terms as well. They're not talking to us about okay, well, you know, what's the what's a cost per click or 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 a CPA uh, cost per acquisition. Um, uh, uh, best price that you can give me. They're actually talking to us about the marketing and business outcomes that they're trying to drive from their advertising and marketing activity. And and when they do that, <laughs> um, working in conjunction with us and their agency, um, we're able to we're able to actually help them drive towards those outcomes. So to your point, you know. Um, watching three videos and getting a, a, a significant level of engagement can actually help drive real consideration for a brand, you know, particularly for a car brand, for example. When we know that that is the goal that they're looking for, uh, we can we can absolutely use use our cookie data, use um, use all of our content capabilities, use all of our other um, kind of contextual capabilities as well to help a marketer drive those outcomes. And, and I think moving away from these kind of, uh, from the focus on the media metric um, to a focus on the business outcome is really, really important. And I think that's actually been really well demonstrated on your site this week with the latest Pulse survey that's up. Um, and I think I checked it yesterday and, and, and uh, the question was, you know, where, where should the focus be? Should it be on media metrics or should, be, should it be on understanding business um, outcomes? Business and, outcomes? Yeah. And, you know, I think 60% of the <laughs> respondents have obviously said business outcomes. What website was that again, Susie? Uh, that was MI3. Thank you, Susie. That's what I thought you said. <laughs> Uh, Andy, how does that resonate with, you know, uh, the, the marketers that you're talking to out there? And, and you do have a, uh, you know, you've got a penchant for B2B as well. So they are probably, are they, are they thinking like this? Yeah. I mean, look, any any CMO out there starts, is held accountable to business outcomes. But the, the challenge is as you, just, as you trail down an organization, you end up with, I'm the media buyer for digital or I am the funnel front of funnel manager. So I'm managing contact us and lead form traffic and I'm the content manager. And, and suddenly those metrics become enormously granular and the swim lanes get narrower and narrower and narrower. So um, the problem starts way down in the organization. And look, I the thing I worry about most with all of this is actually cookies aren't the problem. There are so many simple technology solutions from really great identity management and things like that. And cookies do a lot of good for all of us. They get rid of content I don't want to see. They bring me products that I might not know about and like. Uh, they make it easier for me to get back to products that I forgot I wanted or needed. So there's a lot of goodness in what's being created as well. What worries me is technology companies masquerading as media companies suddenly exercising their quite absurd market power to suddenly change the business landscape. I mean, it is just entirely unacceptable that someone with 80% market share wakes up morning morning and goes, yeah, you know, we're going to change the world. And, and, and actually, the only one who's really going to benefit from this is us. And, 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 and with the billions in profits being generated, not to proffer any kind of technology solution to the problem, they are essentially masquerading as their own a government entity. 
and that's wrong. This music to your ears, Susie, I'm sure, uh, but uh, does it, what happens even with your conversations with, with the agency sector, are they, are they buying the sort of arguments that you are putting to them and the capability you're, you're putting to the market? I think there's no doubt that, you know, various agencies are, are taking different approaches, but there is definitely a recognition amongst most um, agencies that the the, the the swing went way too far towards the platforms. We're talking about Google and Facebook. The the pendulum swung too far um, in their in their favour, and the benefits of context and of the you know the loyal and engaged audiences and the the high quality premium quality content that media owners, publishers like ourselves bring to the marketing mix are extremely important and that there needs to be somewhat of a swing back towards it. And I think the best conversations we have with agencies are where we're able to say, you know, we've got, uh, we've got this hugely premium content, we've got great contexts and environments. And we've got great data that they can that they can work with, and that that combination is, I would argue, not something that Google and Facebook um, can offer. Jason, and you're pretty plugged into the platforms, right? You're seeing some results in some form. So, what do you make of yeah, of the the consumer here being in control is really important. We've somewhat not treated consumers really well from an advertising perspective for a long time, and Paul and I spent a bit of time together a couple of weeks ago talking about intent. And if we look at search, right, let's go to the most simple form of I've gone to a website, call it Bing, call it Google. I've done a search for a product. If anybody who's listening does that and they do a really big abstract search term, something like need a new car, have a look at the ads you get back. And what you get served back is a buy now message or a transact now. Sometimes you get a finance company suggesting that you should get an offer when all I'm trying to work out is what car I should be buying. So we haven't been listening to consumers' questions and answering them in the right way for a long time. What data has helped us to do is actually start to understand the questions in an abstract way, i.e. in a display format. So we've got so many channels available to us. What I'm getting to is we've got to start to allow consumers to take control of their data, let consumers own the ecosystem they want to be advertised to in, and allow us as brands and marketers to get in front of them with the right message at the right time. And we've spoken to this for a long time. I don't think we're going to be there in the next 12 months. I think we're still playing with how, but we're getting closer. And if we put the consumer at the heart, if we focus on those business outcomes, not those media metrics that change every minute of every day, I think we're going to get further along. And I, I agree with Andy, it's not the cookie, right? Those big, you know, the Googles and the Facebooks of the world, they're making decisions that are right for them, but they're also listening to consumers and their customers too. John Bradshaw, you've heard all the perspectives. Should marketers care? Thanks, Paul. I'm fascinating discussion. It'll be interesting to see whether we have a part three on this one. And I've still got big questions about how much marketers should care about this. And then since our last conversation about this, I've been kind of digging through the research a little bit in full m- nerd mode. And I think there's three things marketers need to understand. Um, first of which I think the most interesting is this notion of control. So the more consumers feel like they've got control over the data, the more likely they are to respond to advertising that is using personalization. As soon as they feel like they're being served advertising, 
that's based on data they do not feel like they have actively shared, the effectiveness of the ad disappears. So it's not so much an ethical debate about whether we should or shouldn't be respecting consumers' privacy. It's the actual effectiveness of the ad dissolves. The personalization doesn't work when we feel like it's creepy. And that's coming out of MIT and Harvard. So fairly well-respected research stuff. The other thing we're learning is that recency matters, that if you retarget me shortly after I've been to your site, then I am likely to respond when you personalize and behaviorally track track me like that. But as soon as that time period gets like you know gets gets longer, again the effectiveness of personalization declines. And the final thing is motive congruence, right? If I'm shopping, if I'm looking for something, then serving me an ad about the thing that I'm looking for and allowing me to kind of complete the sale, brilliant. We're seeing massive, again, effectiveness increases from personalization. But where it's not congruent, if I'm looking for cat videos and you're serving me advertising, again, we're not seeing any effectiveness increases through personalization. So my net take on this is, yes, personalization can help that kind of lower end of funnel effectiveness, but it's not the magic bullet that if you kind of listen to the kind of Twitterverse um, that we think it is, and if a large chunk of personalization disappeared because of changes in cookies, I'm not sure marketing effectiveness is going to suffer badly. Susie, Jason, Andy, John, thank you. You can get more fantastic content and perspective, of course, at mi-3.com.au. We'll talk to you next week. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button to get a free notification every time we release a new episode.